Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Allen. Joining me in studio this week from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. From Motley Fool Income Investor, James Early. And from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Gentlemen, good to see you as always. Hello. Good to see you, Chris. Chris. We have got the latest on J.P. Morgan's big trading loss, News Corp's big split, and McDonald's Big Mac. We will look at the competitive landscape in tablet computers. And as always, we've got a few stocks on our radar. But we will begin with the Supreme Court. On Thursday, the Supreme Court upheld the health care reform law in a 5-4 to four decision. Ron Gross, right, yes, sir. right after the news was public, we saw shares of health insurance companies like United Health, WellPoint, Aetna. They fell pretty sharply. Uh, hospital stocks were, were up pretty big initially. But stepping back from all of that, what were your thoughts when the, the decision was handed down? Bottom line, remove the uncertainty from the market. Market hates uncertainty. Yep. Allowed the winners to run. There you go. James, what that do you was think? Titan punchy. Well, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of, of primary interest to me is is the 10% tax on tanning beds, which appears now here to stay. Um, but besides, I'm actually not a frequent tanner, but, but besides that. Uh, <laughs> the handlebar mustache would have tipped <laughs> that off to anyone. I think so. Romney could still, if he gets elected, he could still uh, meddle with this. But, but uh, it does, to Ron's point, primarily provide certainty. Joe, what do you think? It was a bit of a curveball. The market had convinced itself that the individual mandate was going to get struck down, which might mean that the rest of it got struck down. So there was a lot of uncertainty. Uh, really, to hammer home Ron's point, the market loathes uncertainty. It would actually have a bad thing sometimes instead of just knowing what the bad thing is, instead of having an unknown floating out there. So it is nice if you do own healthcare stocks, at least you know what you're dealing with going forward. So, right. So, circling back around, a lot of the uncertainty was removed. So, hospital stocks, that makes sense. Um, some uh, The testing companies like Quest or LabCorp, that makes sense. They'll be beneficiaries. The one uncertainty that still remains is the Medicaid-related companies, because there is an option for states to opt out of yep. some of this. Um, so, if you saw a big state like Florida or Texas really opt out, there could be some impact there. It's probably not the case. The states will probably fall in line, but there still is a little bit of uncertainty with regard to those stocks, but they did rally. Has it changed anyone's mind? Is there any industry that you look at differently now as an analyst, as an investor, that you think, you know what? I'm now less interested in, for example, medical device companies because this excise tax is going through. They won't have the pricing power, not all of them anyway. Did anything that transpired on Thursday change your mind? For me, it's hospitals, and I've never really spent much time looking at the hospital stocks. Hospitals have a significant portion of their customer base, if you will, their patient base, that don't end up not paying. Yeah. Um, this is will be a big deal for them, and, and the stocks reflect that. And um, it really make may make me revisit kind of the the model, and and some of, of the the revenue should really be quite quite higher. James, it does make the modeling easier. I'm, I'm a dividend focused investor, and a lot of the farmers I, I wouldn't touch in general, but but now at least with the certainty for, for better and for worse, I can get in there and, and model it and feel a little bit more comfortable. Joe, what about you? Yeah, hospitals definitely look more interesting. Insurers, some of them might be a little less interesting because what what Ron was talking about with Medicaid at the state level, but still a little early to, to figure out whether that's necessarily a bad thing. 
Any big questions you have going forward? I know that, you know, as, as we saw on Thursday, we saw some, some pretty sudden reactions. There was actually that initial faulty report from CNN saying that, yeah. the, that the decision... I heard the, I heard the president at first thought he, he had lost this battle. <laughs> for, for a good 90 seconds, he thought he had lost. Yeah, CNN initially said it was going to be overturned, and then they, they walked that back. But, you know, we, we see these snap trading judgments going on. But, but long term, uh, any big questions you have going forward, Joe? No, I think this pretty much ties up a lot of the questions here. I do think you'll end up seeing some reverberations play out over a long time. So, for example, with hospitals, I don't think the market fully appreciates, even though a lot of them pop today, how much value they're going to get out of this and over how long a time horizon. So, you know, if you're patient, I think you use some nice plays there. James? And again, depending on who gets elected in November, will this last? And it's pure form. Health insurance is a very, very touchy, uh, yet critically important thing for Americans. I don't think we're going to leave it untouched forever. A lot going on this week in the world of tablet computers. Uh, Google unveiled the Nexus 7 tablet for $199, and a U.S. judge backed Apple's request to stop Samsung from selling its Galaxy Tab 10.1 tablet in the United States. Joe, let's start with Google first. I know that's a company you watch closely. What do you think of the device? It's a beautiful device. Think of it as a rival to the Kindle Fire. They're both 199 bucks. only the Nexus 7 from Google is lighter, faster, has better resolution, and better battery life. So if you're thinking about buying a tablet, this could make a lot of sense. Now, obviously, people want to compare it to the iPad. You know, I kind of think of these a little differently. The iPad's kind of like a BMW. Um, we all love BMWs and can agree it's a great car, but most people can't afford them. You just want something that'll get you from A to B. And so a Kindle Fire or this Nexus 7 from Google is something that can do that for most people, and that's why I think it's got a good shot. Just wondering, Ron, if you and I were tablets, who would be the Nexus 7 and who would be the Kindle Fire? <laughs> How about don't worry about it? But Joe has it exactly right. This is not a threat to Apple. Um, it is it is a threat to perhaps to the Fire. Or oh, I didn't say it wasn't a threat. I don't think it's a threat to Apple. I'm, I, don't, I don't think Apple is uh, quaking in their boots at all. I agree today it's not a threat, but I think over the long term you're going to see these high-end tablets at a low price point start to yeah. drive down pricing pressure, and that eventually is either going to steal share or force Apple to, to come down on price. I, I think you'll see Apple probably come out with a, a smaller device uh, and that is lower price uh, on their own. Uh, <laughs> other than the iPhone. <laughs> yes, other than. Um, the mainstream media, in going back to Apple and the, the court victory over Samsung, Joe, they, I kept seeing this phrase, you know, major legal victory for Apple. Um, is it a major business victory as well? A major legal victory would be the one the president had this week. <laughs> uh, you know, this is a bigger win for Apple than it was a loss for Samsung. I mean, this tablet would represent a minuscule amount of sales for Samsung. Uh, the iPad is. A I was going to say, count. Samsung has other tablets. This, we're talking about just one type of their tablet. Right, in one country. These guys are suing each other all over the globe, and so is Google, <laughs> so is Microsoft, so is HTC. And, you know, they're winning and losing cases in different courts and different countries. So I wouldn't read too much into to one judgment. I do think ultimately you'll see these guys come together on a solution because, ironically, Samsung is a key supplier to Apple. So they, they clearly don't want to have to go through these legal shenanigans. In terms of what's gone on this week, and particularly, Joe, with Google unveiling this new tablet to some very good reviews, I should add, um, who had the worst week? Who, like, what's the tech company that right now is just going? Oh, we are we are even worse off than we were on Monday. I'd say Nokia. They're they're having a really tough time right now with Microsoft looking to bring some hardware in house, doing more work with 
themselves on the mobile side, that's a real threat to them. And, you know, Windows Mobile was kind of Nokia's last big shot, and now it looks like Microsoft might be willing to go in another direction. Ron, you agree with that? Yeah, you could pretty much say Nokia (laughs) any week (laughs) over the last several months, and you'd be probably getting it right. Coming up, J.P. Morgan's $2 billion trading loss may have gained some weight. Details next. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Joe Mager, James Early, and Ron Gross as we go through some of the big stories of the week. Shares of J.P. Morgan Chase were down on Thursday on a report in the New York Times that the bank's trading loss last month could be as much as $9 billion. Uh, James Early, I don't know much about uh, hedging strategies and investment banking, but I know that $9 billion is a whole lot more than $2 billion. It is a larger number than $2 billion, Chris. <laughs> That's right. It's probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, if it actually materializes, is that rogue trading loss ever. Yep. Uh, and that's, that's pretty significant. And to me, the bottom line is that there's no argument now that can be made that J.P. Morgan either adequately understood this trade or had it under control. Now, that sounds like a statement of the obvious, and it sort of is, but the, the key point here is not the $9 billion. The key point here is the the regulation going forward. It's like we get a, a speeding ticket. It's not the 100 bucks the ticket is how much your insurance goes up you know after that same thing here with JP Morgan who is long railed uh, against uh, future regulation of derivatives but i think they should get it and they certainly need to Ron, what do you think? I think the $9 billion headline is kind of misleading, because I feel, at least, when this first came out, it was a $2 billion loss at the time. Mm-hmm. And there was really, they said, it's going to take time to unwind this. And yep. it could be more than that. I don't know if they said significantly more or more. <laughs> and so I, in my mind, didn't think $2 billion were done. Um, I figured, you know, it's going to depend on how this trade continues to go for them as they unwind, and it looks like it continues you, you to go south You knew it was $9 billion all along, you're No, but, but their internal, this this document says their internal um, um, study said 8 to $9 billion would be the top end of the loss, but perhaps it might end up coming in more like 4 to 6 which is certainly better than 9 In, in the minor defense of J.P. Morgan, also, it is possible that with the publication of this story and the details of the trade, and, and the motivation of J.P. Morgan to get out of it, they're having a harder time. They're not getting the prices they want. I don't know enough about right. the trade, though, obviously. Um, in terms of financial stocks, I mean, we, we talk about investment banks on Wall Street a lot. But um, you know, for folks who are interested in that sector, uh, Ron, I'm, ju- I'm just curious your preference. When you're looking at financials, do, are, are you more likely to lean towards smaller, like community banks, uh, that sort of thing? Or are you more likely to look at mobile payment or you know the visas and the the mastercards of the world I, I'm typically not a big financial um, buyer um, except for something like insurance which I like the model of insurance quite a bit but if I was looking at banks it would be the easier to understand kind of community bank where I could do some research on the local economy um, make a decision about whether I think that was robust or perhaps weak and then I could make a little more educated decision by understanding their balance sheet the big banks I get a little bit confused James well just to, to, to snipe at one of Ron's points, I, mean, I like insurance companies too, but <laughs> you can my, snipe my at all of Ron's points. They're holding these big bond portfolios, right? They're, they're holding these big bond portfolios, and if we see inflation, they're going to get whacked. Yeah. Um, I, community banks can be great. They can also be riskier than the big banks because they are not too big to fail. So, so that's one thing. I, another thing I like, Chris, is is 
foreign banks, like in Canada, Bank of Nova Scotia is one of my recommendations. It's an income investor. It's a much more conservative financial climate. The Canadians just aren't as crazy as we are about about leverage. Crazy in the best way. In the best way, yeah. Uh, Well, no, not here. Um, (laughs) In in other parts of the world, the same thing. It really depends on the regulatory climate because bankers are people who will maximize the rules. You know, whatever they can do, they're going to find a way. So it just depends on, on the rules given to them. News Corp's board of directors has approved a plan to split the company into two separate publicly traded companies. One will operate as a newspaper and book publisher. The other will be an entertainment company that includes 20th Century Fox, Fox TV Broadcast Network, and Fox News. Uh, Ron, Mm. first and foremost, is this a good plan for News Corp? I think it's a good plan for News Corp. News Corp shareholders, I think it is, and probably for News Corp as well. The entertainment division is much more valuable and much more profitable than uh, the publishing business, which is Wall Street Journal, HarperCollins, Times of London. Um, um, the v- more valuable assets are those cable networks um, on the entertainment side, whether it's Fox Broadcast or Fox News. Um, so there, this will probably create some value. The one thing that's troubling for me is that they've said that they're going to make sure that the publishing business is very well capitalized. They're going to leave it with a lot of cash, and it's going to invest to expand the digital side of this business to try to turn that. Boo. That could be trouble, <laughs> throwing good money yeah. after bad. A few people have tried that before. That worries me. Joe? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that part, but I like that they're unlocking <laughs> value by splitting these two businesses. Uh, this is a classic conglomerate discount, and that's what happens with stocks, where you have a company that goes out and owns a bunch of different businesses that don't have much to do with one another. Well, investors don't want that. They'd rather own a pure play business and own a bunch of them and put them together themselves. So companies do that. There's a discount on it, and this is a good way to unlock that. I was going to say, I mean, just reading the reports and listening to you guys talk about these two separate businesses, it just seems like if you're a, you're a shareholder, you're just almost immediately dumping those shares of the of the book and newspaper publisher because there's so much more value to be had on the other well, side. Think, it's funny I you say so. that, yeah, because sometimes the best investing opportunities can come from situations like this where yeah. kind of a sidecar business that people don't want, it's not the flagship business, gets kicked to the curb immediately by a lot of investors. And sometimes you know, a newly independent business can find its sea legs and do pretty well like that. Is this essentially the scenario we could see play out with Pepsi and Frito-Lay? I mean, is it, it is, it, is yeah. it that extreme? If, if Pepsi spun off Frito-Lay, would the disparity between those two separate public companies be as great as what this appears to be? I don't think it would be close, actually. I th- they're much more, first of all, size-wise, it's, it's not a sidecar situation. Um, it, it's, it's much more, uh, they're, they're almost equal. Okay. Um, what if we threw in a phone hacking scandal into the, into the, uh, the, yeah, the snack business? I'd have to think business. about that. Um, but, but yeah, it, 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 I mean, they're very similar. They're, they're, they're complementary, you know, the distribution. And there's an argument even to be keeping them together because of, of just the distribution relationships. Speaking of Pepsi, Coca-Cola is planning to invest a total of $5 billion in India over the next eight years. The company had previously said it was going to invest $2 billion between 2010 and 2020. James, why why the big doubling down they, they on this bet? They want our diabetes-inducing drinks, and we're happy to supply them. Um, <laughs> what, what is why would you say that? <laughs> One of America's what? brightest companies. So, oh, Coca-Cola is a recommendation on my scorecard. I, I, I like it. I do not like the product, um, but, but I like the company. Uh, I don't know what that makes me. But um, <laughs> what is amazing here, Chris, is actually the size of this investment, because according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, the Indian sales market is just like a billion dollars a year, which is pretty small. It's like 12 sodas a year. Yeah. Coke, this is like a $5 billion investment. This is They're really banking on a culture shift here, not just incrementally more sales. Joe, when uh, am I, as a Coca-Cola shareholder, going to see this pay off? 
over decades. I think this is... So no time soon. No, but I, I mean in a good way. Um, <laughs> Coke is so out in front in emerging markets. They actually get most of their sales from outside the U.S. Uh, they do huge business in Latin America, and it's because they recognize that you need to get distribution and build brand awareness early in these economies, and especially where you have you know rising tides lifting all boats. People can afford more expensive sugary beverages. And you now I really do think this is a great long-term move for them. James, if you're Pepsi and India has been one of your brightest international stars for a long time, aren't you just horrified by this news? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you are, but <laughs> you've also got other other uh, uh, worlds to conquer. I mean, there's still it's still kind of a land grab in, in a lot of places, as Joe says. Um, just Coke versus Pepe, Pepsi in terms of the stock over the next five years. Don't make me pick. They're both in my scorecard. Okay, Joe, I'll make Coke. you pick. Ron? Yeah, I'll go with Coke. And finally, McDonald's is unveiling a new burger in Germany called the Bigger Big Mac. It is 45% larger than the regular Big Mac. Not to be outdone, guys. KFC, Yum Brand's own KFC, has unveiled the Cheese Top Burger in the Philippines. It is a fried chicken sandwich with cheese melted <laughs> over the top bun. Um, I'm just going to go on record as saying, and I, I've, I said on the top. Yeah, that's not even top. practical. It's, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's it's yeah. not it's not all that practical. It's the no. decline of civilization as yeah. we know. And I, and I said on this show that the double down that KFC came right. out with the you know the fried chicken sandwich with the bacon in between. This delicious. Yeah. I would have gotten one of those. This I have no interest in this at all. James? On, on behalf of the people of these United States, I, I hereby apologize to the <laughs> citizens of the Philippines for this affront. I mean, it's just it's just an injustice. What, what it's a, not even practical to eat. It's not practical. No, because you get your hand in the middle of the cheese, a cheese-like product or whatever it's called. Right. What What do we think about the bigger Big Mac? First of all, when I when I first read it, I kept thinking of the 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 scene in uh, the movie This Is Spinal Tap when the guy had the amplifier that <laughs> you 11. know that goes up to eleven. <laughs> it's like the, the, no, this is a bigger Big Mac. It's like well, but the name of the sandwich is, is the it? Big Mac. Like well, I I mean, it sounds ridiculous. I I will give uh, McDonald's credit for knowing their markets and doing research. So they obviously see. Uh, demand for this. Um, it also could be just a trial, and they'll yank it if it doesn't work. It's you know nothing venture, nothing gained. But it Joe? implies the problem was the Big Mac was not big enough. I, right. I, I was just going to say, who, who would even think that? Joe, I mean, are, are you interested in either one of these sandwiches? Well, at least the name is apt. I'll say that. <laughs> Steve, uh, let's bring in our man from the other side of the glass. What do you think? I mean, two two brand new burgers. What if we throw in a trip? You get a trip to Germany to try the bigger Big Mac. You get a trip to the Philippines, but you have to try the cheese top burger. We're, but we're, if the cheese top burger is actually chicken, it should be noted. Right, right, right. But bad. the name of the sandwich. That might affect Steve. The name the of the sandwich. I want Steve to have all the information. I do like chicken and I do like cheese, so I think it's a win-win. I don't I don't see how this could be a bad thing. It sounds delicious. Pack your bags. And I've never been to the Philippines, which also sounds delightful. So. All right, Ron Gross, James Early, Joe Maker, guys. We'll see you later in the show. Coming up, more on the Supreme Court's big decision and a look at biotech stocks. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio now for Motley Fool Pro and Motley Fool Options, Jeff Fisher, and for Million Dollar Portfolio. Charlie Travers. Guys, thanks for being here. Great to be here. Thanks, Chris. Uh, we want to continue the conversation because it was such a, a huge decision uh, that the Supreme Court handed down on healthcare this week. And Charlie, I'll just start with you. I mean, we, we saw the reaction in the markets on Thursday, but what was your reaction as an investor, as someone who analyzes healthcare industries, pharmaceuticals, all yep. that sort of thing? What was your reaction? Uh, I'm a little concerned about the impact on the health insurers. 
And what is the fallout from this ruling is that uh, the law is going to stay intact. And what that means is that the insurance companies are not going to be able to exclude people for coverage because of their medical history. Uh, As a society, we can say that's a good thing. Um, But from the perspective of a business that relies on making a profit, what this means is that the insurance companies are not necessarily going to be in control of their costs because a large part of the premiums, uh, roughly 85% of what they collect, has to go out to pay for somebody's medical care. And uh, the problem here is that their costs are going to rise. And unlike most insurance companies, like if you pay for life insurance or house or auto, and you're used to premiums increasing, uh, the health insurers have to get a regulator to approve their premium increases. Uh, so they can get squeezed here pretty badly and their profits will shrink. And that, that makes it a, a risky stock to own. I was just going to say, obviously, different companies have different strengths. and. Yeah. But it sounds like you're basically saying, with a with one broad brush, this industry is less attractive to you as an investor. Absolutely, especially compared to other places in the uh, healthcare space where you got companies providing innovative R and D to actually treat people, and uh, those are more more interesting to me. All right, we'll get to those in a second. Jeff, what was your reaction? So the market dislikes uncertainty, of course, and this took away some uncertainty, mm-hmm. which helped a little bit. But in a nutshell, all we're looking at is more people seeking more healthcare services. And that's a good thing you would think for the industry as a whole. But on top of that, more costs and more hurdles, as Charlie just talked about. So in the end, it's kind of a wash. And that is the intent of the law. It isn't meant to be a boon or a penalty to any part of the industry. It's ultimately just meant to make sure that more Americans are insured so that society isn't footing the bill. So what you see, though, right now are healthcare stocks have been, generally speaking broadly, inexpensive for a number of years. And I think that's going to continue because this bill doesn't really, aside from, uh, I agree with Charlie's concerns with the insurers, but overall, that doesn't move them, the, the bill doesn't, the law doesn't move the needle that way, that much, one way or another. We did see hospital stocks rise on the news when it broke Thursday morning. Any other winners, whether it's in the short term or long term, Charlie, that you industries that you look at and say, you know what, they're they're actually going to benefit from this in the long run? Uh, there's opening the door here for the creation of what's called biosimilar drugs, which are generic versions of uh, the biotech companies' drugs like Amgen, Genentech, these companies that over the last decade have produced some groundbreaking treatments for arthritis and cancer, uh, but there's been no FDA approval pathway to get generics of these drugs out. And these can cost tens of thousands of dollars a year. Uh, and now with this new law, companies like Novartis and Momenta Pharmaceuticals have the ability to make cheaper copies of these drugs, and this will bring healthcare costs down for everybody. Yeah, Chris, so hospitals were up and medical diagnostics equipment providers were up, like Quest and uh, LabCorp. And uh, the reason being, obviously, more patients, more customers who are actually paying now. But the one thing to remember with hospitals, it's a really tough business to begin with, and hospitals receive a lot of reimbursement Mm -hmm. from the government for health Uh, promotion programs. And there's no guarantee that those reimbursements will continue with a new budget that comes next year and all our our concerns about the deficit. I want to get to volatility because this was one of those weeks, Jeff. I mean, we've, we've seen different periods of volatility, but this just seemed like 
one of those weeks in the market where we saw snap decisions being made. There was the initial report from CNN that actually uh, they were reporting that it was uh, going to be overturned, and you know there were, there were probably, I'm guessing, some people making snap trading judgments on that. How do you manage volatility uh, in in the services that you run and sort of in your approach as an investor? I, since about 2000, so for 12 years, I've been working to manage volatility, and Motley Fool Pro is the result. It's the service that I run here primarily, Pro and Options. Pro uses options and hedging and shorting in very basic ways to smooth out our returns. We want to make some returns when the market is flat, returns when it's down, and then the majority of our returns when the market is up. So you can smooth out your returns, lower your volatility by hedging with some simple shorts or index hedges, or using options, basically option writing strategies that pay you premium month after month, and that income adds up and uh, softens the the blow of volatility. See, I have kind of a weak stomach as an investor, so I'm not looking for volatility. But it sounds like, on some level, you're rooting for it. Is that fair to on say? On some level, you you are paid more when you write options in a volatile market, so that's more income in your pocket. That's great. Uh, volatility in general, Charlie will agree, brings opportunities to buy things cheaper or to short things that are that are up. So if you can stay balanced, the volatility just keep your head clear. Volatility is then <laughs> a welcome thing. Uh, I want to make a uh, shameless plug because your service pro is getting ready to reopen. Um, uh, there's a microsite that you guys have put together, and I'll give the URL in a second. But what can people find when they go there? Yeah, we're talking about the election coming up in November, and what happens to the market and to certain industries and stocks if Romney wins? What happens if Obama wins again? How do we make money no matter which party wins? Yep. And that's the microsite has uh, roundtable discussions about all these topics and shares free reports, strategies that we use in Pro to make money no matter what the market does. All right, it's a free site. Uh, the URL gopro.fool.com. That's gopro. .fool.com. Uh, just to wrap up on this healthcare decision, one thing that you're watching going forward for the long term, Charlie? Jeff touched on this earlier. The goal of the legislation was to get access to health care for more people, and a lot of that comes through the states with their Medicaid programs. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of the states' budgets are really stretched, and so they have to make decisions. Do they pay for health care? Do they pay for education? I, and I think, actually, the implementation of these programs is going to be something to keep an eye on in that environment. Jeff, what about you? So, I'm watching Medtronic very closely. One, one way to invest well is to know something very well and just keep your eye on that. Medtronic is the largest medical devices company in the country. They're the number one or two position in just about every medical device unit you can think of. And the stock has been inexpensive for years, and I'm hoping that with some resolution on this, on this law, it'll finally appreciate it. It trades at a very cheap multiple to free cash flow. They do have to pay about $130 million annually now in excise taxes every year due to this bill. Like most Congress people, I have not read the whole bill or even parts <laughs> of it. <laughs> and so I don't understand yet what this tax is about, why single out medical devices companies and make them pay this tax when they spend so much on R&D to provide products that make lives better. So anyway, I'm hoping Medtronic can finally get some traction and, and expand its valuation. But if they're the largest medical device maker, don't they have a greater ability to simply just pass their costs on to their customers? They, they have some pricing powers, some, but not so much, because insurance depends what they, what they pay for things. 
But what they've done in the last few years in anticipation is work to lower their costs. So everyone's ready for this. Everyone knows, knew it might be coming. And now hopefully the valuation is going to start to improve here. Uh, Charlie, you mentioned uh, earlier Momenta Pharmaceuticals and uh, the healthcare decision handed down by the Supreme Court. Not the only legal drama in the, in the, <laughs> the wide world of healthcare, because we saw uh, Teva Pharmaceuticals, which um, their biggest brand name product is Capaxone, which is a treatment for N, uh, MS. Teva had sued Momenta and three other companies for uh, essentially patent infringement. The court ruled in Teva's favor. Momenta got whacked earlier this week. It was down twenty percent in one day. Yeah, a little bit of pain there, Chris. And this <laughs> that seems is, uh, like a lot of pain. This this industry is possibly the most litigious industry around, and the reason is that these companies rely on patents to protect their inventions. Uh, in the United States, a drug is covered with a patent for a period of twenty years, and legal battles are very common because, as you mentioned, uh, Copaxone is their bestseller. This is a three billion dollar product, and they got they have to protect that. Uh, the patent does expire in 2015, and then Momenta and its partner uh, Sandoz could uh, have the rights to sell their own complete copy of it if they can get FDA approval. Uh, but in the, in, they were trying uh, to get on the market a little faster because this is just a big pinata sitting out there for them to go after. What do you look for? primarily when you're looking at a biotech stock? Are you looking for their history? Are you looking at their management? Are you looking at what are the diseases or treatments that are you know that they're trying to deal with uh, two things Chris one is financial and that would be a strong balance sheet drug development is heinously expensive uh, costs hundreds of millions of dollars so you need a company with a lot of cash on the balance sheet to pay for that uh, and then high quality R&D a company that's going for an unmet medical uh, need uh, kind of diseases where there's not a lot of competition uh, that kind of thing one biotech stock that's on your radar uh, I, I like momenta at these prices. Jeff, what about you? I can give you 200 biotech stocks <laughs> on my radar. I am not a biotech expert, but there is there are two ETFs that are really low cost, and they each own 99 biotech companies, so you're really diversified. And when some win, as you know, they can become an Amgen or yep. a Genentech, and that makes a big difference to this whole ETF. One is Spider S&P Biotech ETF. The ticker is XBI. It owns, it holds 99 smaller biotech companies. Another is iShares NASDAQ Biotechnology ETF, ticker is IBB, as in boy. That owns 99 biotech leaders, many of the giants. So that's a good way to just own the whole sector. And they've both done, I was surprised to see, really well this year. They're both up around 20% year to date. A lot of winners and losers in healthcare. Is it safe to say that the lawyers had the best week of all this week? Don't they always have the best week? <laughs> and the They lobbyists. win no matter what. <laughs> Jeff Fisher, Charlie Travers. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Show me your name. Coming up, we will dip into the full mailbag and give you a look at the stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool Money. Cash, That's what I need. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Joining me in the studio once again, Joe Mager, James Early, and Ron Gross. Guys, before we get to the stocks on our radar, uh, folks can always email us. Radio at fool.com is the way to get a hold of us. Radio at fool.com. That's our email address. Uh, a couple of emails to uh, dig into uh, from Rob Catlin in Taiwan. He writes In this low interest rate environment, isn't it true that the yields at a company like Annalee Capital will be higher and the dividend yield on a company like Paychex would be lower? 
if the interest rate goes up, will we see Annalise dividend go down and the dividends for paychecks go up? Currently, the yield on Annalie Capital is 13% and paychecks 3.9%. James, earlier, our dividend guru, I All turn right, to you so first. So, there's a lot bundled in there. Um, first, let me factor paychecks out of the equation. Paychecks is primarily an, an operating business. Um, some of the, the, these companies make a little bit of money on the float of the payroll as they process it, but it's not the majority of their income. That's kind of a, a misnomer. So, paychecks will just do what paychecks does. Uh, an MREIT, like Annalie, MREIT stands for mortgage REIT. What they do, uh, they basically borrow money at what's called the short end of the yield curve. These are, are sort of the shorter dated uh, uh, debt obligations, typically at lower interest rates. And they take that money and they invest it in mortgage-backed securities at the longer end of the yield curve. People are paying into these things. So in other words, a steep yield curve benefits an Emory because they can borrow, just like a bank, they can borrow short term and they can sort of buy these long-term obligations. Now, what happens when the yield curve gets inverted or, or, or flat, which Operation Twist is trying to do now, it's trying to, to push down long-term at the expense of the short-term, that's going to pinch M-rates. So M-rates have already suffered. A lot of them have cut their dividends somewhat. We could see more of that, but the question is, it's already paying 13%, even if it cuts it to 11% or something like that. Is that really that bad? Ron? I think it's also important to just remind listeners that REITs have to pay out 90% or so of their, um, let's call it income cash flow, yep. um, as dividends. So you, you get that, you know, by definition, that higher yield um, with REITs than you would perhaps an operating business like a page. And it is taxed at ordinary income rates, so you want to hold it in an IRA or something like that. Uh, is it fair to say that uh, the mortgage REITs are just not big fans of, of Ben Bernanke? If, 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 if Operation well, Twist is the, the, twist? the yeah. only good thing about Operation Twist is that it's not going to work. So you know, <laughs> it, it, it didn't work last time. Uh, you know, it, it, it might have a very minor effect, but not enough to really throw a wrench in this. Joe? I'm a Paychex fan. Uh, <laughs> that one got yeah, thrown to the curb I there. I like that float. Yeah, I agree with James. You know, the, it's important to realize most of the money they make comes from processing checks, but that's a great toll booth business. They can push through price increases, and they recently raised their dividend for the first time since the big financial calamity, which is a sign of a little bit of progress and better things to come. Uh, email from Doug Clark in Wyoming. He writes, hey guys, I drive a truck and I download the podcast so I don't miss a show. That's always Excellent. nice. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Doug. Doug. Thank My you. question is, what's up with Radio Shack? <laughs> now, that's that's Doug's entire question. So I, I, there are, I suppose there are a few ways we could <laughs> interpret we could that. What's the deal it? with Ovaltine? Uh, so, but first, let's go to our man Steve Bruno. Steve, you're, you're a Radio Shack connoisseur of sorts, aren't you? I am indeed. I, I do like Radio Shack. It's the only place you could go. I imagine if I wanted to build a robot, Radio Shack would be the f my first stop. Do you have an answer for Doug in terms of what's up with Radio Shack? I don't. I can tell you, having been at a Radio Shack recently, the stores appear to be getting smaller. Uh, that is they the footprint of the store. The footprint seems to be the same size, but they're removing inventory. They you used to you go in there be thirteen shelves stocked with all kinds of weird things, and now there are two shelves, and it's a real open. They're selling cell phones and. MP3 players. They're selling what basically everybody else is selling. So fewer products on fewer the shelf. Fewer products on the shelf. It doesn't make any sense to me. Ron Gross, I'll turn to you. What's wow. up with Radio Shack? As a deep value investor, it is it is tempting to to jump into Radio Shack. I don't. Where's the stock? Three. Book value is significantly higher. The problem is that book values in calculator batteries. Right. And the, the problem is a lot of the book values in inventory that is is questionable. The value. So they. 
can't get the merchandising strategy right. There's too much uh, competition out there, whether it's between Best Buy, which I don't like either, or Amazon or what have you. Um, they're trying to reinvent themselves. They sell iPads now. They sell cell phones. I go there only if I need like a lithium battery, which nobody else has. <laughs> um, but interestingly, just this week, their chief chief merchandising officer resigned. Um, I would imagine it was not a fun job. Um, so we'll have to see who they get and, and where the strategy goes from here. There's going to be uh, another saga here. Just very quickly, when the iPad, the new iPad came out, I wrote some story about people camping out for two days to buy from the Apple store. This journalist went into the Radio Shack nearby, <laughs> and there's just stacks of them. There's literally no one else in the store. Now, that's something very good about Apple, about how hot their products are elsewhere, but something very bad about Radio Shack, yeah. too. Doug, I hope we answered your question in some small way. Again, you can always drop us an email. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Let's wrap up with the stocks that are on our radar, and we'll bring Steve in with a question for each one of you guys. Ron Gross, you're up first. What's your stock? In thinking through an article I was writing for the 4th of July, I came across H.J. Hines, a, and a recommendation mm-hmm. uh, from my colleague James here over an income investor, uh, ticker symbol HNZ is in zebra. You know, the, the winner in ketchup, let's face it, sells 650 million bottles of ketchup every year. company is still growing after all these years. Stock isn't dirt cheap. I need to dig in a little there, but nice return on equity. Uh, you know, And the market leader, really strong brands, Orida, Classico, not just the Heinz ketchup. Steve? I do love tater tots. Mm, uh, love, some, sure. love, love me some tater tots. Steve? Where did the green ketchup go? Remember that craze? Green ketchup? <laughs> it was it nasty. It went right so where it should go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. thought they were onto something there. James Early, what's your stock? Chris, I have this love-hate, anguish-torment type feeling with cereal makers. Um, I've had <laughs> Kellogg's on my scorecard and then sold it after they had the bacterial contamination incident when they laid off their, their sanitation workers. Um, General Mills just recently raised its dividend. The Big G? A, the Big G, yeah. They wanted everybody to call them the Big G, and you just you can't pick your own nickname. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't no, work yeah. like call that. Call me T-Bone. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, that might stick. But uh, 8% dividend yield increase, I like that. Uh, statistically, stocks that are increasing their, their dividends tend to do better than, than stocks that don't. 3.5% overall yield right now. Stock has been roughly flat for the past past couple of years and I'm just it's on my radar I'm debating is, is it enough of a performer to, to bite into or is it just kind of like a flat okay stock Steve Brodo question for James sure do unions play a part in General Mills uh, there was a factory near my hometown and I thought you a know, lot of those people I were do union not employees. know what percent are, are unionized you know I'm, I'm gonna guess probably but 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 yeah Joe Mager, stock on your radar this week? A Jeff Fisher special MasterCard. Oh. Uh, it's a beautiful business. So MasterCard makes a ton of cash because it's a high-margin business. There's not a lot of capital requirements. And we are shifting more and more dollars through plastic. We're moving away from checks and cash, mo- moving towards plastic and online shopping. And Visa MasterCard are big beneficiaries. MasterCard's stealing share from Visa, which is nice in the U.S., but they're also growing big internationally. You tell uh, them, T-Bone. <laughs> <laughs> and the ticker symbol? Uh, M.A. Steve? How does MasterCard get bigger than Visa? Yeah, I don't think they're going to get bigger than Visa, at least for a couple decades, but still could do plenty well enough to do well for the well, stock Why price. would I want a MasterCard over a Visa? What is the advantage? Well, I think they're both great, but what I like about MasterCard is it'll probably steal some share from Visa over time, but also as the number two, everyone wants to partner with MasterCard. Nobody wants to partner with the big guy. And so things like Google Wallet, for example. So some nice call options. Steve, three stocks there. You got one you like? I think MasterCard sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm back on the board. <laughs> the green ketchup really killed it for you, didn't it? <laughs> sure did. 
Joe Mager, James Early, Ron Gross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you, Chris. That is it for this edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.